Welcome to the Life with Friends podcast, a podcast where we connect with friends and family to talk about the shared experiences we've had together. On this episode, I talk to Tony, a friend of mine with many experiences within the broader Melbourne community and an inspiring urban planner. Here, we talk about exactly what is urban planning, what it takes to turn these plans into actual action, how to debunk certain stereotypes within each suburb or of any city, and why can't every suburb have a large shopping center? So this episode explores more about what it is, what is exactly urban planning, and we realize that it's more than its own stereotype of just houses and trains. I hope you guys enjoy. And we are live. So welcome to Life with Friends podcast. I'm your host, Jose. Um... So episode seven, who knew? We have come this far. I'm really, really excited to see how the podcast has actually been going. Um, um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to all the guests that I've spammed over the past seven episodes. Um, it truly means a lot to have like friends come over and actually talk about some of their experiences. And it is an enlightening of a process. Um, and as well as like a... In- educational and informative and it's just a good time to have people talk about their experiences their expertise and skills and not just skills but just like sort of their thoughts and opinions and I'm sure it is a lightening of a process for everyone else who's been involved um, so without further ado um, this episode is actually no different uh, this person the special guest for episode seven um, has been a friend of mine since I started uni here in Melbourne um, been a longtime friend and he's been doing and I've, I'd like to say for myself He's doing really, really well for himself, but I'll let him describe sort of what he's been up to these days. I'd like to you guys. I'd like to introduce to you guys, um, Tony. So, Tony, you want to say hi to the millions of listeners of this podcast? Hi, everyone. Yeah, so Tony here, and yeah, really good to be able to speak with Jose. Yeah, well, <laughs> nice. Um, Tony's been a while since we actually caught up, right? I know. How long has it been? Uh, like physically, actually, that's what I meant. Yeah. I think. Probably like probably around the same time last year, I'd say. Like, it just feels like same time ago. last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was I was in Sydney at that time. I think the last time we actually like physically met up though was in, or was it was in April? Was it not or March? This year. When we went to Sur- no last year last, last year. year yeah. Um, just cancel out. When this we. Year. <laughs> yeah, just cancel out this year. This year is just an anomaly. Um, we we went to Sorrento. That's where we were. Yeah. Do you remember uh, that? I do. No, it was good times. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Then where 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 have where have you been since, or what have you been doing since um, the last time we met up? Yeah. Yeah. So I think ever since I've just sort of been um, working at home because of the whole COVID situation, mm-hmm. and I've also yeah, changed yeah. roles now. Um, so before I was working at the Victorian Planning Authority as an urban planner, and now I've transitioned towards another government agency called Suburban Rail mm-hmm. Authority, and working um, also in a planning role. Oh really? So it's my, a lot of been like urban planning. Mm. Okay, that's really cool. <laughs> um, but before anything else, uh, before I let you do all the talking as well, um, I just want to say um, I'm gonna I'm gonna flex on this podcast a little bit. I want to say congrats on the new place, Tony. Oh, <laughs> that's also what's been happening. So for the- yeah, that's a, that's a big thing. You shouldn't be so shy about it. Uh, for those who don't for, for for those who don't know, Tony Tony um, is not the person who would I would say brags a lot and he is very humble but i do like to uh, it is my podcast i do like to show him off um so um recently tony just got a new place to himself so congrats tony um 
uh, first question what made you what made you decide that it was time for you to to get a place on your own to buy a house oh right so yeah i think i can also link it back to urban planning like um i guess because (laughs) i studied sort of property and planning at uni and uh, so i've had some knowledge about you know um housing in the market around melbourne and i think it's just Mm. more of the circumstances at the moment where um there's a lot of government incentives um and it seems to be you know, I enjoyed the process of, you know, going to different auctions or inspections and different properties. And at first, just having looking around. Um, but then over time, I sort of felt like, you know, there are some places that I can see myself living there. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. some exercises I've done where it's like um, talking with some of the people from the community in some of the suburbs. And just just getting really feel about, you know, um, potentially living there. And it was all very fast moving. Um, I just sort of did continue some research, had a look around um, any desirable areas and what might be some good qualities in those areas. And yeah, it just sort of, you know, went up to the next steps. And here I am now. <laughs> Would I regret it? <laughs> here you are now as a homeowner. That's that you know that 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 is a big feat. I do have to say. I do I do hope in one um in the near future or in my lifetime I'll be able to be a homeowner as well. But congrats, Tony. Thank you. Um, for the um one thing, <laughs> a little caveat to all the listeners is that Tony has invited some me and some of my friends to actually do some of the demolition for him. <laughs> so that is going to be incredibly fun to do. Um, I do hope we don't wreck the new place, Tony. So make sure you keep your eyes out for us, just in case we cause no, <laughs> we made, cause a I lot of help. trouble. <laughs> yeah you said you wanted the kitchen you wanted to fix the kitchen is that right yeah um i think it's something that you know I'll, i'm going to probably use a lot quite a lot that area and just make him to look yeah. up to scratch well don't worry um we'll dem- we'll demolish it in no time as well. <laughs> um so, but before we go straight into the topic of the conversation um obviously with the episode episode title we're talking a lot about urban planning and sort of like um sort of the projects Tony's been working on and sort of his passions about helping out with the community. But before that, I do want to introduce a little bit of fun as well. So I usually start off, Tony, if you haven't been listening to the podcast, um, with a little question, which sort of just gets us into the rhythm of things, which is how did you, how did we meet, Tony? And sort of how did our relationship um, develop across the years? Yeah, Um, from, you know, what I recall, I think, you know, we met at ISEC. Um, when we were yeah. at the community together, and I think we were in the same team, um, marketing communications when we first um, started off. And yeah, mm-hmm. I guess we sort of worked together as a team um, as part of that committee, and it was just a really good experience. And I think over yep. the years, you developed a lot, Jose, like, uh, um, you know, you've made <laughs> big grounds. Yeah, I, I guess I've also even had a really good time. As yep, yep. I think over the years, but also we're in another team together of the um, EB executive mm. board. Yeah, yeah. So here we are, I guess. Yeah, and then so when did you graduate, actually, Tony? I, it was like mid year twenty eighteen, so already oh, around okay. two years. Okay, okay, right. that's right, that's right. It was mid year twenty eighteen. I thought it was the end of twenty eighteen, or like, yeah, because uh, I was like, oh, didn't we graduate at the same time? But it feels like just so many years ago. So <laughs> yeah, no. and then for... I'm just glad I could graduate. <laughs> <laughs> You and me both, bro. Um, especially with you, like I would not want. I would not. I cannot comprehend how difficult it must be right now during COVID for people to be studying online. So I think that is sort of a blessing in disguise. Um, but yeah. since then, actually, um, 
Okay, I know this will probably make Tony very uncomfortable, and I know I've been like sort of flexing him out for the past seven minutes. Um, but Tony has been a like he he's he's gone around. Um, he's 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 been involved in a lot of community things and activities probably since high school, right? So and and then obviously having having you know conversed with him and sort of developed this friendship with him, I've gone to understand a little bit more about what like sort of the things he's been involved in. And sometimes I cannot believe how you do it, Tony. How in- incredibly efficient and effective you are in all the committees you are part of, both in uni and outside uni. But I want you to introduce that sort of. So, what were some of the things that you were like passionate about since probably since high school? Um, for yeah. those who don't know, Tony's CV is stacked, but uh, I'm sure he won't go into that too much detail. But yeah, so what are the things? When did you start becoming involved sort of in the community in Melbourne or yeah, in Melbourne specifically? And then how did that translate to some of the projects you were involved in um, uni? And then also both now heading into your full time work and like, um, yeah, full time work and then everything around you besides Isaac, because, yeah, obviously we met through Isaac. But, you know, when did this sort of incredible interest in just getting yourself out there start from yep well thanks a lot you know thanks so much Jose for your kind words like <laughs> it's always good to have you know your support um but yeah I guess sort of my journey um in terms no of no it was out of it was, out, it, was, it was out of pure jealousy I'm incredibly <laughs> jealous of you Tony <laughs> no, I'm kidding yeah well now um, I get to you know um, talk about it more <laughs> yeah exactly um, so you know no just flex right right no I'm just kidding but yeah do tell do tell yeah but um, I guess, you know, my journey sort of started, you know, around high school when I've been able to take part of some um, projects and some competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess myself, I guess when I was starting off young, I was always on the lookout to learn new things and new challenges. And I saw, um, you know, those, um, I guess, once-off opportunities or those that are more project-based or a certain yep. case study to be really mm-hmm. intriguing mm-hmm. and that I really wanted to always participate in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there was, start, there was, you know, some competitions that I started, such as, I think, the City of Melbourne. There was an urban design forest competition, which was about, you know, how do you visualize um, Melbourne? And, you know, there was other competitions where, um, about writing and literacy, and I just found it all to be a really great experience. And I just, you know, wanted to keep learning and discover new um, paths or fields. Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, that sort of urban forest design um, the competition was really great in a sense. It got me to really reflect about, you know, my upbringing here in Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. Since I've, I guess I see myself as an ABC, mm-hmm. Australian-born Chinese. Yep. And it's always been, you know, really interesting to see how Melbourne has developed over the years, especially where um, I, you know, was born and raised in the neighbourhood of West Melbourne, mm-hmm. which I'm still living here now before I move out <laughs> to a new place. Um but, you know, it's just really changed a lot in a sense. It used to be that I could be in my, um, would be able to in the front streets, be able to play football and be quite quiet. And it used to have a lot of um, Italian and Greek elderly families. Yeah. But now it's, you know, dramatically changed where um, because of, you know, how close it is to the city, we're getting more people who, uh, I guess, um, blue collar employees, young professionals and young families are, are now in the area. Mm. So, you know, it really comes back to the link about a place and the sense of place. Yeah. And that's something I feel like there's, it's so intertwined mm-hmm. with so many other things such as you know, architecture, the way we design layouts of cities and also um, other fundamental parts like um, how does it interlink with economics and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel like um, that's sort of really inspired or encouraged my interest towards really learning more about urban planning mm. and um, 
it, it's sort of just been on my mind when I'm on the lookout for opportunities or new challenges. It yeah. tends to be ones about um, urban or cities related. Mm. So it started off probably at a young age, right? So, um, well, at least in high school, when you said you wanted to get involved in some of these projects, um, especially within like seeing how Melbourne sort of developed from, I wouldn't say as a monolithic because it's always been very cosmopolitan and very diverse, but into where it is now, where it's very progressive, um, and uh, and seeing how the progress is made in certain projects specifically for um, migrant communities as well as for um, climate change. Um, for instance, the Green Army. I I remember you talked. About, I think you were part of the Green Army program. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was sort of an opportunity where I was part of a project team. And we worked on different um, green areas, like mm. it could be about parks or it could be reserves or any sort of green space mm. that we would redevelop um, a certain area in terms of you know vegetation or um, you know even gardening approach. Yeah. That's when I I felt like you know it's another opportunity where I, I felt like I try to push myself more, mm. um, which included me learning how to mold the gardens, um, learning about different even plant species, yeah. and really understanding you know um, the project you know why we're doing it mm. and you know how it helps to progress a more of a um, greener and sustainable area yeah okay and then okay so before we get uh, too ahead of ourselves because probably i sort of introduced the episode about urban planning i too don't know what the extent of what that means so tony just to you know just a quick question then what is urban planning for us for those who for, for those of us who probably don't know what it is and what does it entail in terms of sort of the diversity or the broad the broad expertise or special qualifications that one can have with it. So what is urban planning? Yeah. Um, yeah, don't worry. I actually had no idea what urban planning was. Yeah. And it's something I sort of stumbled across as an idea and concept. Mm. Um, so I guess from what I know, um, urban planning is really much about, you know, um, the study of an, a place. Okay. And what we mean by that is, you know, um, think about architecture. It might tend to, people sometimes perceive it as more about buildings. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, also, you know, the, uh, you have other areas, but I guess how I say urban planning is more about the network, networks of uh, mm-hmm. buildings, networks of green space, um, networks of even infrastructure, yeah. and it's really much about the relationship of you know all these different elements that you would that's visible and that's mm-hmm. also invisible in an area that you you know you linger around or you walk past or you maybe visit to a foreign place, mm-hmm. and how that sort of um, interconnected relationship of all these elements build that sense of place. And we tend to, you know, label it as a city like Melbourne. We sort yep. of, you know, summarize it as a place. And when, and when we think of, you know, different places and the names of it, we have an um, conceptualization of what it entails, you know, what's the culture of it, what are the people. Um, but yeah, it's just far more complicated and much more beyond a name. We, um, so which is why it's sort of worth uh, of a study itself. Mm. Okay, so what what do you mean by invisible? So obviously, when you say visible, I'm assuming the ne- the networked the networked um, the network societies that we ha- we we live in. So in terms of like one 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 simple example that I can think of is probably the train line, for instance, and sort of how that's sort of infrastructured around the city, for instance, and how that is being mapped out. So what are some sort of those invisible networks or invisible places that you've been mentioning, and sort of maybe enlighten us for those who don't know. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, some of those layers could be um, so- something such as community layer. Mm-hmm. It's something, for example, how cohesive a community is. 
Mm. Um, something like urban planning, you know, we could what's visible, we could see which areas are highly concentrated in terms of um, ethnic backgrounds, and mm. we tend to use the word, you know, multicultural, yep. which is a lot of different cultural groups together. Mm. But um, there's also, you know, different community layer, which is about um, how do these um, different ethnic backgrounds or communities interact or, you know, inter- build together when they're living in the same place. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of complexities and intricacies involved with that, such as, you know, um, different partnerships and even, you know, different um, cultural elements. Um, something like myself, where I see myself as a first um, generation of, you know, Australian um, because I was born and raised here and my parents sort of migrated from China in the yep. 1980s. Yep. Um, there's just so much of, a, I guess, a community and a social element towards it. Mm. And, you know, when we look at other pillars such as um, the economy, um, a sense of place can actually build a lot of conditions and foundations for how we um, prosper as well and how mm. we grow. Okay. Then what sort of er- what sort of areas around those lines where have you like been passionate about? Um, so, because one of the things that I sort of lauded you um, for was a lot of your engagement with the multicultural community or what you what you, when we spoke about um, urban planning briefly in our conversations was that um, you were probably involved in a lot of these um, invisible lines of within urban planning which was how multicultural communities engage and work with right so talk about some of the work that you've done there and what were some of the things that you've learned from sort of your study as well as some of your experiences working for for instance the center uh, the Center for Multicultural Youth, for instance, right? Yeah. So, yeah, what sort of work have you done that and um, what sort of things that you found or found passionate about? Yeah, sure. Um, so what I might speak to is, you know, how the community is actually a really um, important um, component of when we think about urban planning mm. um, because at the end of the day, urban planning is really much about people and trying to improve the condition and the quality of the place for people to live in mm. as well as also biodiversity and other elements. Yep. Um, so that's how I see, you know, it's really much about whatever you design for needs to consider the people that live there. And um, that's also front to mind in sort of the work I do for as an urban planner. Yeah. For example, when we sometimes have um, redevelopment sub um, projects of different suburbs that need to um, go through some investments or some change because of, you know, population growth or because of, you know, different circumstances such as um, pressure on infrastructure um, a whole heap of reasons, we usually need to um, consult with the communities that live there. Mm. So I think it's been a really sort of fulfilling and rewarding experience where myself, um, I've been able to go down to the communities that I plan for and really get um, to listen to the people, um, the communities, whether it's workers or business owners or even students in those mm. um, areas um, about their experiences of the place that they live in. Mm. So what kind of questions have you asked them? So what are sort of things, yeah. what, what, what constitutes a plan or an implementation plan, if I'm, if I'm not wrong, that's what it's called. So, mm. so what, what, what sort of the work have you done? So when you mean by talking to the communities, what are some of the things that you're looking for? Some of the things you might see faults within the society, I'm sorry, not society, but sort of within the physical areas that may have been, the way, that the, mar- the way that the people engage with one another, what are some of the things that you look for? And then maybe you can talk, one of, maybe you can talk about one of the projects you might have worked on. Um, yeah. yeah, things like that. Cool. Yeah. Well, I might, you know, talk to you one of the projects I worked on, which was the Cremorne Place Implementation Plan. So you got it, got it right. <laughs> um, but it's really much about, you know, there's a certain suburb that's yeah. um, going through a lot of change, such as Cremorne is a very um, dense area of startups. 
sort of like the Melbourne Melbourne versions of Silicon Valley. Oh really? Um, and where where there, is Cremorne? Um, I didn't know what it, that it existed, but it's actually right next to um, Richmond Station. Oh so really? Between <laughs> Richmond and South Yarra is Cremorne. Oh wow, really? Hmm. I did not know. And then so it's just filled with startups. Like that's what the general like demographic yeah. or what the businesses are really. Yeah, what kind right. of startups? So um, a lot of the tech design um, and even unicorn companies, which is, mm. you know, startups that have a valuation of $1 billion worth and more. Mm. Um, so these are actually quite, you know, big plays um, and it's got a certain Silicon Valley element towards it. Mm. But at the same time, it's got a lot of competing interests with also the residential community that lives in there, mm. um, you know, such as ones that live in apartments or houses as well. Mm. So, you know, we tend to actually try to analyze an area by different um, community groups, like separated by, you know, their demographics yeah. and their interests of the area, such as work or play or visit. Mm-hmm. And it tends to be, you know, we find, um, we ask questions such as, what do you think needs to be improved in the area? Um, also, you know, what's your experience in the area? What do you like about it? Um, what, you know, what else do you think would make it, you know, prosper in terms of the economy? And also, you know, um, what do you think in terms of infrastructure needs to be upgraded, mm. such as the themes of um, public open space, um, built form, uh, and whatnot. And we tend to also get, we pretty much get all the information that they tell us, and that really helps to inform um, the draft implementation plan and any ideas or opportunities or actions that we can commit and also speak with other um, government departments that mm. have a bigger stake in those areas such mm. as, you know, improving the education in the area, improving um, the health and community well-being. You know, there, there's a lot of government departments that we need to um, draw their interest and also investment funding interest. That's very important in order to make a meaningful change for that suburb in the medium and long term. Mm. And that, all those changes are pretty much documented in the final um, implementation plan, which mm. gets adopted and, you know, becomes formal. Mm. So when there's future... Um, for example, future apartment developments or future um, anything developments, it, it will, um, that implementation plan would have a say or um, be like a guideline or even um, be, you know, like a legislative framework um, that needs to be um, complied with. So do, you see, do you see any of your plans or have you, do you know of, how, of any of the things that you've, inv- you've been involved with in that have been pushed to, leg- to just to be pushed, sorry, to be pushed into legislation or do you know sort of anything that are in the works that are not just an implementation plan and people are actually working on it? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll speak to you in my previous role where I've been involved in several projects where we use the word precinct and you know, uh, okay. we categorize it under health and education precinct yeah. or enterprise precinct, which is what Cremorne is. Mm. And, um, and then it has its own implementation plans. Mm. So there have been some where I've been involved in um, from when it started the project and some when the project was sort of halfway through that process yeah, yeah. and i think um by now some of the projects have been finalized so hopefully oh, really? that has eventually it, it, it change in Cre- in Cremorne. yeah um and i'm not sure in terms of the states of that one um but really you know how these projects are supposed to you know, in a few years time frame after yeah. that you know that process of getting the community um drafting up all those documents um yeah, there's a, a sort of a precinct structure plan process is what we call. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, so when you say when you've looked into the things like um, you said, uh, oh, how, for instance, one area 
um, how can the demographics work together, what sort of jobs are in line for it, what sort of access into health, what sort of health access and services are you provide? Can you give us a, I'm curious, what is the difference between one suburb or one area in Melbourne to another that you found most insightful? So you could say that, you know, all suburbs would probably need, or some areas in Melbourne all need, you know, 100, like 100% convenience when it comes to health and services or different jobs and economy. So give me a stark contrast to like, for instance, Craymorn or any other place that you've been like, you've been involved in. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I think the whole essence of it is really we look at like a certain suburb, which, you know, yeah. has a, its own boundary. It's, it's already marked, you know, where's the boundaries and areas. Um, and we think of it as, you know, that suburb might be currently, you know, around seven out of 10 in terms of what people think. It's, like you know, livability, right? This is, is livability. Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. It's really much about thinking, how do we make it from a seven to an eight or to, to a 10? Okay. So it's very much about uplifting the quality of that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what makes it different from you know how, how what we do for one suburb to another yeah. it comes to a lot of different dimensions okay um, one of the dimensions might be the government intentions yeah you know sometimes government they've flagged certain suburbs or areas for more of a specialized functions okay uh, for example Cremorne because mm-hmm. it's such a um, economic powerhouse in the mm-hmm. sense it's got all these startups that could and it's um, it, all these companies that are based there contribute quite um, significantly mm. to some of Victoria's economy or local mm. economy. So that's why um, the government might have a special interest to make it, you know, an enterprise precinct or make it really focused as a business hub, yeah. like Silicon Valley is. Yeah. Um, whereas for some suburbs, it might be, you know, well known for its heritage or cultural character. Yeah. And that's why it might be focused more on, you know, for example. Um, you know, something, I'm just thinking like next next to Cremorne is South Yarra. They've yeah. got, you know, the Yarra R- River, um, which is a really key component. Of like Melbourne, right? Yeah. And how laid yeah. back and things are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. It's like a case by case. No, and I just wanted to know because like I wanted to know what sort of like things you actually get involved in, what specific things. Now, this is a sort of fun question. Then. <laughs> Don't worry, this is not an interview style. So feel free to inter- interrupt me at any time. Um, but... Are this from a from an urban planner's perspective, how true are stereotypes of different suburbs? And did you, or do you sort of just laugh like in terms of because you know um you know living in Melbourne people would say oh this suburb is like known for this or this suburb yeah. is like known for another thing another huge stereotype. To what extent is that true? And to what extent does that play into like factors of how you perceive when you go into like some of these implementation plans or um. For instance, or even as like something as simple as what you did just recently, which is finding a place to live, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how much did stereotypes play a part? I guess that's my question. Yeah. Um, look, that's a really interesting point. I think what I'll speak to is really how um, every suburb has its reputation somewhat. Yes, yes, that's and, what I'm going with. Um, I was trying to be I guess, more, yeah. <laughs> I was like easing my way into it, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, take, for example, look like some suburbs have a, a very strong reputation of maybe certain elements and it tends to be, you know, elements of something like safety, for example. Okay. Yeah. And I might bring an example of one, um, Sunshine, for example, has okay. been somewhere that, or even Footscray, mm. some of the suburbs in, in, in the West has maybe a reputation of, you know, it's um, not safe to be around, it's yeah. got a lot of crime mm. and it's dirty or, or something like that, yeah. all these um, labels to it. Because of maybe what they see on the news or headlines, or you know, or just like general stereotypes of what people like, Mm. what people like found like fine. Like for instance, um, 
I hope I'm not painting a huge brush, but Sunshine is like um, Springvale and Sunshine are probably known for like Vietnamese immigrants. If I'm not, if I'm not yeah. wrong, right? Um, so yeah, oh, go on. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. So I think you know people have these stereotypes and perceptions of the suburb, but mm. you know what we've found from the work is that it's not necessarily true, and it's there's so much more um, intricacies related to it. Mm-hmm. For example, with Sunshine, you know, there's all these different elements and thriving hotspots in those areas in terms mm. of you know. Um, multicultural food and restaurants that and people from different suburbs actually come to Sunshine for it. Yeah. Um, and that you know they've got a lot of community facilities. When I worked at Center for Multicultural Youth, mm. um, I actually worked at the Sunshine um, branch. So you know I've actually you know worked around that area. within the community itself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. <laughs> um, and you know I, I just sort of when you immerse yourself in a certain suburb. Mm. by living there or studying there or working there mm. you actually go beyond the labels and you're really trying to understand the culture mm. and it's hard to summarize it with you know taglines or specific words which yeah, is what people yeah. tend to use or the media might tend to rely on mm. um, and i find what we as planners try to do is really to um, make it more uplifting in the messaging that we use mm. and also be much more forward thinking yeah such as in that implementation plan it tends to be we always work with the community to develop a vision for the suburb. Um, and what that means is really much like a statement or a mission statement in a few sentences of what we think are the strengths of a suburb mm. um, and what it could grow as and you know what the community's aspirations for how it, it would change over time. Mm. So that we sort of in a way got a, I want to say consensus, but more of a general agreement or general idea in terms of consistency what we think about the place and i think that's much more powerful and much more um constructive rather than you know what tends to be used as taglines yeah yeah that's true and i think that you put you put a i think a lot of the um the victorian planning authority and at least from what you just talked about you seem there's a lot of work being done to get rid of those taglines or not got rid but sort of you know enhance it or part of like enhance the place of where it is and um administer any form of support to it um, when it's needed what is then my question now is a little bit fun again what what is the biggest sort of thing that is highly disputed from your knowledge of any suburb in melbourne or any place or community in melbourne that you'd like to dispute or what you'd like to like so what 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 was what was something that you realized working in those communities that ah okay like this this is a what was your biggest realization from anything that you've worked in so far yeah, um, that's a really open and interesting question. Take it how you want. <laughs> experiences, um, you know, I think I might use my experience when I was looking for, you know, a house or property. You know, I was, you know, doing my research of different okay. suburbs and different areas. And what mm. I found to be really useful is really um, having consistent, you know, criteria of what you want mm. of a suburb. Um, such as, you know, I maybe want good public transport access. Mm. I might want um, good green space. And then I, I look into those areas and then I might come to a realization or it, it's it's very like-minded to my demographics in a sense. It's, you know, usually people that are young, um, people that, you know, young professionals as well and young families, such as um, Maribyrnong, which is where I'm going to be based at. Mm. Um, and I think that sort of speaks to how a, a place and a suburb, what sort of characteristics and elements it has, that's what how it will attract different people to the area. Mm. And another thing is affordability. Yeah. You know, some suburbs 
uh, might be compromised in terms of um, infrastructure amenities, but because of you know affordability or because of anything um, you know proximity to maybe other neighbourhoods, that it sort of attracts um, a range, a specific range of mm. demographics. Mm. Hmm. But on another perspective, it can also promote, you know, um, inequality or, I guess, segregation, yeah. where you might have a cluster of, for example, areas or suburbs that might be a bit disadvantaged in public transport. And that, in that sense, um, because of that, it's quite affordable. And then you've got, you know, a, a cluster of maybe um, low socioeconomic advantage, um, you know, demographics. And it is, it's just, you know, it's that, you know, cycle of where, and then becomes that reputation um, because of that and then that's why more people won't tend to want to be attracted to those areas so I think it, it's sort of like that whole cause and effect phenomenon. yeah w- were there instances or do you some things that you know of that um, where the, the development of one area and this is something that you can speak in generally in terms of any country or any place but were there what kind of discussions are involved or what kind of things are being said when the development of one area or one precinct or one suburb can be at the expense of another? And I want to allude to that because I know you've worked as well in, uh, I think you mentioned this at the beginning, the Suburban Rail Loop Authority, and that involves with a lot of trains, right? And um, Mm -hmm. usually when infrastructure is being built and Obviously, it's lauded, like it's been praised because it provides jobs and things like that. But were, were there instances or things that you know of from your study or from your work experience where the development of one place can be at the expense of another? And how do planning authorities or urban planners kind of find a compromise between those two? Yeah, I think that's a really great question because, you know, a lot of councils, a lot of um, planners, when they think of they plan for a suburb, it's very in the woods planning. Like, you know, they just think about more of the what's inside that suburb yeah as they should right yeah yeah i know that's yeah exactly which is what we mostly do but i think sometimes what's not focused enough on is also about its relationship with surrounding suburbs and how it is sort of like a network because Mm. you know like what we discussed about the definition of urban planning it's very much about networks of different place elements Mm. and um which means suburbs actually need to work together um and you know where what you asked about you know how suburbs might conflict mm. i think it tends to be you know about a special um what that suburb is really meant for and sometimes we government might have already a preconceived idea for it for example it's usually around the topic of economy local economy such as some suburbs might have a special or host companies that you know might be tech focused or might be for retail and whatnot um it's very much about making sure you take into account of that and yeah. not just trying to um, go blind into the, how that suburb could, you know, every suburb should have a shopping center. Every suburb should have a swimming pool or, you know, all these facilities. It's really much about thinking, um, you know, how, what can we balance or what some areas already have and how could it be enhanced? Okay. Okay. Then here's my sort of like, that. here's my like sort of, <laughs> dumb ignorant devil's advocate question why can't every suburb have like a swimming pool why can't every suburb have a westfield you know why can't it be why why can't every suburb have like a high point or something like that you know (laughs) so what's the what's yeah so like what goes through a mind of an urban planner or someone who's worked in government like what 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 goes to the heads in that in in that boardroom meeting or in that um 
uh, in the think tank that says, you know what, this is not what the best, this is not what's best for the CBD, for instance, or this is not what's best for Preston or um, uh, Wonturna, for instance, right? Like, yeah. you know, so why can't why can't all these suburbs have these nice things that other suburbs might have? Yeah, um, wouldn't it be nice if all these suburbs, you know, made it ten out of ten, right, with all yeah. these facilities? I think it just <laughs> comes down to the concept of economies of scale, like where. Um, you know, it's impossible for infrastructure um, because I think we uh, it's um, it's not infinite, so it's finite in yeah. terms of you know resources and mm. also of investment funding yeah. and um, in, and whatnot. It means that we actually have to prioritize to what areas might have it, yeah. and sometimes it might not actually lead to the best outcomes because you know if you want to make a um, for example a high point for every suburb in in the west, mm. then those um, businesses, retail businesses, are going to go out of out of business because okay. you know yeah. um, you know they've got more. It's like su- more supply over demand. Like there's so many more shops, more than that people visit that would visit the shopping center because mm-hmm. you know there's one for every suburb. Yeah, which is why you tend to see um, a lot of suburbs. You know, it, it's quite balanced. Like it yeah. usually has like a high street, which is like the main area where it's got you know all these essential all these shops, shops and, and all these whatnot. boutiques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because um they've got enough um, catchment of, you know, people living around that would use it and mm. that would make um, those businesses um, thrive and survive. Um, whereas for some other suburbs, they might um, have a different purpose, you know, such as maybe Maribyrnong, where mm. they've got like the High Point Shopping Centre because, you know, it, it's, it'd be able to attract like a catchment of the Western suburbs that can come to a centralised area and be able to use facilities and shops and whatnot. Mm. I, I and I guess like the geographic aspect of it plays a big part, right? Does it not like? Yeah. Um, I I can't think of an example, but like I'm sure there instance like there must be reasons why like, um, you can't have like a huge like a swimming pool somewhere or like a huge facility for a shopping center in the middle of like, um, um I don't know Caroline Springs for instance, right? I don't know. I have no clue. Um, yeah. So I, I guess you uh, the economies of scales does make sense. I think your answer was pretty uh, th- that made the most sense. I want to flip this. I want to flip the situation to what my what my stereotype of what urban planning was, and I, it had to it it, it it went down to two things. It went down to houses or some yeah. communities and trains, <laughs> and I know trains are a big part of the complex network that makes that defines the infrastructure of a, of a society and community, right? So. Tell the listeners, or even tell me, how complex is it to work within? Because you're working now in the the rail loop authority, right? Mm. Um, yeah. How how complex is the train network in Melbourne, or like in any in any society? Like, how complex is it to actually plan, build, and design such a such a system, such a transport system? Um, and how does it affect, like, you know, sort of the suburbs surrounding it as well? So. Yeah. Well, I think. Um transport and public transport mm. is like the lifeline of suburbs and you know what we're talking about networks mm. because it's really about people moving from one place to another yeah. and how comfortable how easy how reliable and how fast that they can do it would actually change um, or influence their decision making mm. you know, i think you know the whole covid situation now means more people are working from home yeah and now we've come to a realization that you know oh we can actually not just um live in suburban areas but also work there and mm. that what that means for transport is you know less congestion um and also you know 
we can it'll be much nicer in that regard if we're able to actually um, get around to different suburbs quite nicely mm. uh, whereas you know some places are actually quite disadvantaged in terms of that mm. um, and it's very much about you know um, you know breaking down those barriers like you know if if it's so easy for me to get to you know um, a different suburb around here mm. and that that's got all these um, facilities and community groups I'll definitely make use of that and you know be able to get around and that would actually help you know to contribute towards that local network mm. of you know, suburbs and their activities um, but you know it's, it, now it's really much car dominated in terms of how we thought about cities and suburbs yep. which is not necessarily sustainable mm. Um, mm. for the environment as well um, yeah. then I guess my question is back to the same thing right like um, like why is it just a matter of economies of scale that certain places in Melbourne or even, I think we can take the model out in like a different country, for instance, but like, is it economies of scale? That's why the infrastructure for any transport or public transport is limited more than other suburbs or or are there other reasons to it? Like purely distance wise, for instance, from the CBD or like what goes into play here when people come up with these train lines? Yeah. Well, I think one part of it is definitely there needs to be a demand for it. Like, you know, in order to um, commit to this infrastructure um, towards, you know, creating, creating a new train line, there needs to be um, in advance uh, some consideration of, you know, what value it would bring and how would it improve connectivity for people um, and whatnot. So that's mm. definitely something you need to consider. Mm. Another part of it is also political um, because, you know, it tends to be politicians that make these or proposals about, you know, mega infrastructure projects. Yeah. And, um I would say, you know, there's a element to, you know, you know, you know, trying to satisfy some suburbs, you know, and the voters of those suburbs as well that might come to play in that mm. decision making, mm. which is why it's very political in some sense. Oh, no. OK, so even urban planning has some politics to it, which I guess is not surprising, but, you know, it happens. Hmm. Then, OK, were there any places that um, my, my, my next question then is, um, uh were there other have there been models of different countries that Melbourne or like specifically you have studied that you found interesting or that you've been studying upon so because like for instance like this society and for instance Singapore with its infrastructure and transport lines is probably much different and much more interconnected because of its size than Melbourne for instance like were there certain study like certain models that you've like the urban planning of different countries that you've studied upon and what are some insights that you have from those yeah, for sure. Look, I think um, every city, you know, despite what country it's from, mm. very much has the same um, philosophy on it. It's very much about a place providing space for people to live, work, or study, or what, or any other reasons. And mm. th- that's not different from any place around the world. Yeah. Um, but it's what makes it different is how they do it. And um, you know, some countries because of maybe a certain cultural element towards it, or maybe because of the system built that you could actually really it's really obvious the way that it's designed is quite different from you know maybe how melbourne is designed um you know look you brought up example of singapore and i think you know why people are so drawn to you know the case study of urban planning singapore is because um there i guess that there was quite big um ambition for singapore you know they thought about making sure it's interconnected Mm. they were very invested in technology such as smart cities and how Mm. um you know leveraging technology um, you know, using all these um, digital technologies and lighting um, and putting to, you know, landmarks and destinations and try to make sure there's, you know, 
very strong public transport and making sure you know all these land that they could use for housing so then it's very affordable or in making sure a lot of people are able to live in you know beyond their means um and i think it yeah. comes down to the purpose you know you know and you know the way how they do it mm. you, you talked a lot about how I think there's something that um, I don't know if you listen to my podcast, but a lot of it <laughs> we discuss is a lot about personal cultural identity and sort of race, and uh, and you spoke a lot how if it is a factor in terms of the development of certain suburbs than others. You worked in this, uh, you volunteered in the center for multicultural UCMY. Um, from your studies, I'm sure urban planning is not just about infrastructure and the de- and like um, physical development. Melbourne has no, is known and a lot and uh, it too with a lot more cosmopolitan cities around Australia and in the world that it's becoming more diverse in terms of the different ethnicities and demographics that come into the city and country right and so my question or like what I'm wondering is like how does that like what sort of trends have you seen in Melbourne yeah. specifically in terms of the movement and we spoke about this when we were when I asked you to join yeah. my podcast um like what were some of the fascinating things because I'm really interested to know like um how the development of characters characters personalities the demographic of suburbs all intertwines with as well the culture that is played within it right and sort of you know obviously the taglines come into play but where how does the culture play a big part in the demographics and more specifically, the migrant communities play a part with the development of Melbourne as a continuing cosmopolitan city um, and beyond, like in future years. Yeah. Look, I think um, culture is really vital to, you know, especially during that stage when we design and think for places because we tend to actually mm. not think much about the cultural element towards it, um, which is very actually important. Like, you know, um, something like um, urban planning, it tends to sometimes be very male-dominated in terms of thinking. For example, mm. we, we might just think about, you know, putting strong street lights along different areas. But then for, um, you know, for women, they might not necessarily think it actually makes them more safe when there's all these bright lights, but it just makes yeah. them, um, you know, much more in the spotlight. And it's actually quite, quite contrary to, you know, what was the purpose of it, which was trying to make the place more safe. And I think it's also, mm. you know, other elements towards it, such as, you know, we might make assumptions such as, you um, this place would be great for this um, cultural community. And, you know, for example, in American cities, um, there's that, you know, um, so we should make separate, segregate, you know, different ethnic groups to some areas to, you know, not mix them, which is, you know, very problematic in that regard. And, and I think, mm. you know, there's a lot of un, um, un self unconscious bias and all yeah. this prejudice that we tend to do when we're looking for planning, especially mm. when it tends to be, you know, a very, um, monolithic you know um demographic that are planners mm. so that's why i think um it's very important that we not only um the people we talk to uh you know making sure that they actually and the part of the community itself but making sure that, you know urban planners are, di- are diverse and able to bring to the, the spectrum of and diversity of different thoughts different backgrounds so that it's, it reflects it in the outcome then then um my sort of question then is when why is there then in not just in melbourne but in any city throughout that obviously it goes with this like goes with and then 
continuous snowball of stereotypes that um, when one area of a suburb then tags then is latched onto a stereotype of an ethnic group or a disadvantaged community as unsafe right so why is it difficult or why do these instances happen where these continuing disadvantaged communities continue to be sort of not this might be a hot take but like uh, maybe this is something i'm just not aware of but like how come there there continues to be a prevailing like lack of support or at least question of its support um, for these disadvantaged communities, right? And I want to allude to some of the work that you've done in Center of Multicultural Youth and sort of the things that you've done with migrant communities um, to, to be able to support them. And what, do you think, and what do you think needs to be done to help them even more? Yeah, look, um, I think, you know, something like Center for Multicultural Youth is, you know, I think, really a great um, resource and sort of initiative where we reach out and we engage with these communities, especially from their migrant backgrounds. Um, some of the projects which I've been involved in, you know, one of them was actually going to schools and different high schools and speaking with the students themselves. And, you know, I, I actually came to a realization, you know, you, you can be at whatever age or whatever stage of life and be invested in the planning or your experience of the place. Um, you know, I've been able to get um, a lot of, you know, really rich and meaningful data and stories from students that talk about, you know, the place that they've been brought up with and how they think it could improve with a lot of, you know, really ambitious and great creative ideas that they've come up with. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we tend to need to make sure we really think about that. But so, so what kind of, a, so what kind of examples then have you, have you done to be able to support, to support it? Cause I know you said you reached out to schools, like what have you, what have you done with the schools there as well? Yeah, so we've sort of really tried to come up with ways to really engage them and really document, you know, all these creative ideas and, you know, strategies and opportunities, um, such as, you know, going through like workshops and different seminars where we try to make, you know, interactive um, activities and really get them to, you know, um, for example, I might ask about how do you imagine um, your place to change by the time you out of high school or, you know, in by 2050 or by 2030, um, you know, what do you think um, this place would be different as? And I think they're very smart, the students and the children themselves. They're very, you know, um, they've got in mind already, I think, on the back of their mind, even though urban planning is not like a concept that lingers around their mind, but they subconsciously know or have an idea of what they want their place to grow as, which is why it's very important to, you know, um, leverage or piggyback onto those ideas as planners and not just, you know, um, make a bottom down approach yeah and yeah. you know assume things mm. um, because it tends to be quite it tends to be you know when um, we take all these feedback and ideas and opportunities and then it doesn't end up on the um, implementation plan so yeah, yeah they feel people communities can feel ignored or they can mm. feel a bit disenfranchised and then they might just actually end up you know ranting on social media or you know complaining and they lose trust in the process and you know they just do their own things which is what we find for some suburbs as well. They're quite frustrated. Mm. Um, there's that, I think, element of building trust, building relationship, and really trying to not just consult, which is tends to be, you know, just try and tick the box, you know, trying to get the opinion and pretend, you know, we've done it when we haven't. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I spoke about this and um, 
with a friend of mine in a previous episode, and he said that a lot of uh, this is a this is not related to urban planning, but a lot of these businesses or sometimes governments they just sort of tick off the box and just says, oh, I've did corporate social responsibility, and I guess the behavior should not be the same when it comes to urban planning. Um, now this is getting a little bit more not personal, but I guess more interpersonal. You know, like I mentioned, like a lot of like what my stereotype of urban planning is a lot with regards to like houses and trains, right? But what are some of the insights you've learned from working in urban planning and the work experience there? This is just something I wanted to learn more about. How does it affect the upbringing of, pe- of kids and children? So we talked about students, right? And you said, you, you know, you ask them questions and you help address issues like as racism, disadvantagement of different services. Why is it so, why is urban planning so important to the upbringing of, 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 of children, of kids, of young adults? Um, and like, how does it take a toll? Like, how does it affect them in terms of their personality and their lifestyle? Um, any sort of insights there? Because I'm actually generally curious because if, for instance, right, like this is, comes up from any daily conversation. That's like, yeah. where did you, if someone says, where do you come from? And you say, oh, I come from, I don't know, a really rich suburb like Turak, right? And, um, and then someone says, where do you, like, someone asks, well, someone asks someone else where you come from and might say somewhere like, not as, I don't want to call it any suburbs right now, but like any sort of not as rich suburb as Turak, right? So how does it affect the upbringing? What are some of the things that you've learned from your experiences when it comes to implementing plans? And, you know, obviously I'm sure that this is like, I know I'm rambling on with my question, but like, I'm sure this is something you take into a strong consideration when you build those implementation plans right yeah yeah no for sure like you know when people um you know there's a certain tagline or reputation for these suburbs um, i think to your point about um you know their experiences and you know how it affects them growing up you know yeah. when they're young is because you know at the end of the day what we said you know suburbs is for people and to for live people to live in and mm-hmm. these um, students and you know young pe- people are pretty much going to become the taxpayers of those areas mm-hmm. suburbs they live in so they're going to become the main people really that um, would contribute back to the suburb and i think it's very important to get you know to making sure that they're involved in the process so as they grow that that place also grows aligned to their aspirations yeah and you know what they think needs to be improved on um and it's, I think it also draws into that um, sense of belonging. Like we, when you see a place that you feel involved in, that you know you might you know be part of your community, you tend to respect it more, yeah. and you actually would take care of it more as well. Mm. And that really comes down to your behaviour. Like you know, suburbs that might have a strong, um, you know, people have a strong attachment to the area. There might be lower cases of littering, might be um, less you know crime because everyone looks out for each other. Um, they also you know take things on their own hands don't just rely on the government and implementation plans that you know might just be one in 20 years thing for a suburb because you know it's not like we are going to do it for every five years it's just when it's you know badly needed in some respects you know that's when we will come to play Mm. but i think you know community can actually have a lot of ownership and a lot of say in what they want to do their own suburbs and it doesn't have to start from a project it could be an ongoing sustainable process so it's like grassroots and things like that. just even working and contributing to your local council because i um uh, part of my passions or part of my interest is learning a lot about in these interpersonal like or interdisciplinary sort of things um i know that's just like yeah. a i don't know that was just like a, wor- a word full um 
of of nothing actually but <laughs> it's interesting to see how all these intertwined especially when at the end of the day the, it's not just about the economy right uh, i i sort of realized as i was growing older how important the development and engendering um prosperity within a community takes so much effort and how it actually contributes to people growing up to be better people and people growing up to contributing to their community, volunteering in these grassroots organizations such as CMY to be able to make a difference, right? What if, so I, I think that's really important, but what if, or one of the things actually, I, 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 this is something I'm aware of, is that um, in general, in, in Australia, like the Australian government is trying to redistribute the population um, to more of the regional areas of in the country, right? And that's why yeah. it leads to a lot of, a lot it, it ble bleeds into a lot of these immigration policies of providing access and jobs for um, skilled workers to work in these um, these regional areas rather in the cities, not to overpopulate them. I want to translate that to this question is what happens if this person who has grown up in this one suburb or there is an ongoing trend that people want to um, want to move out from these suburbs, right? Do you guys have those conversations? Do you do you guys have those thoughts about how can we stop people from, you know, I know people have their own choice to move in, move out wherever they want, right? But yeah, how do how what sort of questions do you guys ask yourselves? What kind of answers do you guys have to that when when a lot of these communities are sort of left behind by people as they grow older or as they have more families? And how do you help contribute? How do you help mitigate some of the consequences from those things? Yeah, I think that's a very unloaded question in itself. It was a very um, long really... question. So if you if you don't know, if you've not heard my podcast, I, I like to do my spiel and then I ask my question because I try to figure out what the question should be as I go along. But I hope well, you understand. No problems. <laughs> um, I think I can give my two cents to that. Really, yeah, yeah. it's you know something like you talked about how the government is trying to encourage you know maybe some you know young people that might want to live in Australia and in order to do so they might need to be. And living in a regional, studying in regional areas, hmm. um, I think it's really much about a matter of um, incentives and choice. Like at the end of the day, it's really much about giving um, different opportunities. Like if the government is wanting to, you know, make sure and um, promote more growth and investment in regional areas because it's very attractive and because you know there's a lot of potential for that, hmm. then I think um, there's actually no problem to encourage them by you know trying to um, use levers such as you know scholarships, um, opportunities, um, but, but, but with that being said, it's also trying to make, not make it a forced sort yeah, of movement yeah. or um, process, mm. such as, you know, or if we're going to encourage regional, let's um, I'm trying to, you know, find ways so to block people from, you know, just in the city or in the suburbs, um, because that would be actually quite limiting and that would be quite, in some ways segregation as well, like it's yeah, just really... Yeah engineering how exactly you want those demographics in cities when it should actually be not necessarily organic but um be a matter of choice at the end of the day yeah because i i find that <clears throat> uh, sorry i wouldn't have, i find that sort of this heart this heartening in some sense that um and i'm i'm a product of this as well like in my own home country and the countries the places that i've lived in that you sort of you start off from here and then you eventually move your way up to different, more developed urban, um, urban communities or more developed cities and things like that. And then what I sort of, 
I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong as an urban planner, that like it becomes an endless cycle where this community continues to be disenfranchised because there is a lack of population of people to give back to it uh, because people are looking for different opportunities. And as much as people want to, or as the government try to incentivize it, there are people who are still going to move out, right? Um, and so I wanted, uh, that, that was sort of like, I hope there have been th- places that help address those issues. Like for instance, I, 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 I just realized that, um, was it Footscray or Frankston? I think Footscray is the one that's being more developed, right? It's like it's no longer considered as like a dodgy place, right? Or at least yeah. not that I know of. And then there is actually a, lot, a growing hub of like actual places and um, businesses growing there as well. So I hope, you know, as like as urban planners, you guys have been able to address those issues as well. We're approaching the end of the podcast. Um, there's one little question I want, uh, sort of two questions I want to get out of you before yeah. you you leave, Tony. Um, first question. Oh, <laughs> oh you got. Uh, unfortunately, my listeners don't. So, like, I, we could we go for two hours, but um, I, unfortunately, I can't do that. But my first question uh, is, um, why should everyday people or people who are not into urban planning contribute to the development of their suburbs and contribute to, um, like, the, the development of these communities? And how should they do it? Um, from your perspective and lastly what are some of things that make you proud to be working in this field um, because it is not from my understanding it's not exactly the the finance and the marketings of the world where everyone applies to those things and everyone says they want to you know go into investment banking and things like that so what you know what is something that makes you proud to be an urban planner and working in this field but so yeah my first question is what is something that people can do every day to really help contribute to the community learn more about it to help you know to help government and help develop these communities even if you're not an urban planner and second thing is what makes you proud to be an urban planner yeah really great questions jose i know right <laughs> I I, it's, it's, it's as if i should start a podcast <laughs> no, yeah. I'm kidding. Right, go ahead. there you go um well, I think for your first part, you know, about how people can get involved, even they're not from urban planning, it, it's really important because, you know, it really affects you at the end of the day. Like every single um, thing you influence or advocate for, for your place, really contributes back in terms of the outcomes to your surroundings. And I think everyone, whether it's more of a civic duty, you know, to look after your area or more from a place that, you know, sense of belonging because, you know, you, you know, you know, your, you know, you have a certain attachment to that suburb or place you live in. Yeah. That's why you really generally have a, a care about it. And you want to make sure, you know, it maintains that. Um, there's, you know, making sure there are many ways to do so um, in terms of supporting your own area, such as volunteering. There are already a lot of grassroots supporting um, agencies, organizations, you know, whether for, even from people from different demographics, like maybe those that are, that are retired or those. Um, that have established certain, you know, clubs or, you know, certain areas. Think of it as like clubs after uni. <laughs> like, you know, a, a very <laughs> common one is the um, <laughs> Rotary Club that tends mm. to be, uh, you know, quite spread out to all these different neighborhoods. Yeah. And all these grassroots Facebook groups that, you know, of any suburb you search, there's always a residential group mm. and you can always be involved in, you know, having a say. And I, I was always encouraged to voice your opinion and experience, especially in government projects, yeah. and making sure you keep um, councils and governments accountable. That's and, very true. You know, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Because it's part of your civic duty. Very true. Um, so something I wanted to put out before you answer the second question is that um, 
I think this is in line with the huge wave of the U.S. presidential elections and a lot of the civil unrest that's happening in the United States. But what I also realized as well is that just like, uh, like yes, go vote and things like that. I'm not going to have that conversation again. But like, um, you know, working and keeping the local councils and local councils equally as accountable as the state government as well as the federal government um, accountable is very important because that's where the actual change happens. Um, and I think you can attest to that really strongly as we're, as working in those actual local communities, whether as, you know, part of the rail loop authority, um, the plan, the Victorian planning authority, or even just like something simple as CMY. Um, but that's just what I wanted to put out there. And then my second question to you is then sort of what makes you proud to be an urban planner? Like, where is this passion coming from? Like, um, or like, why get yourself so involved in it and not do finance and marketing like everyone else in the world? Yeah. Well, I've actually got some reflections on your um, comment there, right there. Yeah. Think, you know, that makes me think of the recent um, City of Melbourne elections for Lord Mayor. You know, even on a local level, mm. it's actually, um, at the end of the day, very urban planning focused. Because when I was looking at reading through the um, handouts of the candidates for City of Melbourne, it's yeah. pretty much every um, candidate was talking about how they improve the open space, how they make sure you know businesses w will be around. How they make sure Melbourne will be a great place to study, and for you know international students, or for you know um, public space or affo um, affordable housing. How how they'll make sure they'll provide that. Mm. You know, I actually, when I was reading through the handouts, I recognised that you know it's really part of um, the very nitty gritty and very much about the core activities of um, politics and that that platform. Yeah. So I think it's very important that, you know, pretty much um, voting and election processes are a larger urban planning process mm. that detects um, how your place would grow. Yeah, I'll only vote for the guy who says that we'll have a high point um, in, the mid <laughs> in, the, in the middle of North Melbourne. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, uh, w that makes a lot of sense, though. But then again, from your end, what makes what makes you happy to be an urban planner? Like, where's this passion coming from? Because you are involved in a lot of places. Um, uh -huh. I will not I will not say your last name, but if you search up Tony on LinkedIn, that is a uh, very nice. <laughs> it's a you can see is he I he you can tell he knows what he's talking about. But yeah, no, tell me, I'm very interested. Like, because well, you've you've you you you've brought this up ever since we met, and I'm just very curious as to where this passion and sort of this drive is coming from to be all in these places at once. Was it from childhood experience, or was it just the love or understanding of helping out in the community? Yeah, no, um, thanks so much, Jose. Like you know, I think really much at the end of the day, my interest and you know, growing passion for urban planning is just that it's such an interesting topic. It you know intersects with so many different things like mm. transport. Um, social equality and you know human rights and you know um, when you make a great place um, it, it tends to be translate to really great outcomes as you see you know you know like how some countries the way they design the cities you know, now it's become like a powerhouse for certain elements such as maybe tourism such as maybe livability or even public transport so I think um, as urban planners you have a lot of potential and power in, uh, in and, you know, privilege to actually be able to influence outcomes um, for the people. Mm. And in order to do so, you need to listen to the people that live there. You need to work with them and you need to really take it all in. And that it needs to be really well translated to your, um, you know, workshopping and, you know, drafting of the reports and frameworks. And I think it's something that I feel like I have a role to play. Um, 
you know, I am someone that's not very, you know, strong in mathematics, not very strong in, you know, um, even science or even, you know, anything like that. Yeah, and yeah. It's, I feel like it, it's just um, urban planning is somewhere where I can really um, be involved in a lot of dynamic projects. It's somewhere that I've been able to, um, it, it can relate to really anything. Um, but at the same time, it has really, you know, special qualities or elements towards it. And it's somewhere that is, um, how should we say, like very subjective. There's, you know, it's very, you know, variable to people's opinions. Yeah, yeah. Different, um, you know, the ways that people with different viewpoints and perspectives. So it's, in some ways, you have to be quite um, evident-based. You have to be quite and also consultative. Mm. And, you know, also be able to make interpretations and make judgment calls on at the end of the day as well. And to me, that's very exciting and really, at the same time, really challenging because you've got a great task and what you do at the end of the day is going to influence or shape that suburb. So you better do it right and you better um, work hard and work smart for it, which is something I think is an ideal environment as a career for myself. Mm. So if you're wondering, you know, why am I, why am I in urban planning? I think, yeah, it's just somewhere I, I see myself in. <laughs> <laughs> that's i guess that's a great way to sum things up but no i i i really like i really love listening to that because it is um it bleeds into a lot of things um for those listeners out there I, I, this one thing i learned is that we talked about culture we talked about society we talked about the geograph uh, the geography or the geographic area of it we've talked about the economy um of that local community we talked about the sustainability of it and it's an infrastructure the schooling um the upbringing of kids and children's and parents and families that are growing up a lot of it like when you hear these things or you hear suburbs, suburbs that are more developed than others it does take a toll and it does take a huge impact on people's lives and i think where politics and society sort of merge or tangibly happen is within those communities and um and the urban life um that people live in and i think it's very very important that we have people like you tony and we have people who are passionate about it to really make a difference and i think that's something i really wanted to highlight in this episode um which is like the incredible immense hard work or the incredible in, in intricacies of urban planning in itself to be able to make a difference in not just Melbourne but in like in the world and especially the local community that you have um, but that's my little spiel um, that really really is an enlightening process um, telling me like tell uh, you telling me like why you're really passionate about it but I just want to say thank um, thank you Tony for coming over to the episode um, how did you find it I usually ask my guests at the end of the episode yeah, how did you yeah. find the episode yeah, no, really great conversation, you know. It actually got me a lot thinking about and reflecting on my work and, you know, the projects. A lot of the time, you know, actually don't really, you know, um, this is a really great forum for that. And I hope to, you know, offer, you know, some of my experience and journey into urban planning. Um, and as you, you know, pointed out, you know, it's not many people know much about it. Um, it's a, it's all about houses and trains. So that's all. Yeah. That's, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I think um, urban planning itself has a label on it, <laughs> of just not not people not knowing much about it. Wait, what's the label? Like tell me. Tell me quickly. What's the label? Like the housing and trains. Yes, it's housing and, and trains. Yeah, yeah which is um, I think much more about that, and yeah. it's something I I guess in the longer term want to advocate more about and really dig deep into. So yeah. yeah. No, that's really good. And I think I learned from myself a lot of the intricacies and the, the, the really difficult parts of being part of it and how it is very broad, yet very, very specific in what you said, very nitty gritty. Um, 
But th- once again, thank you, Tony, for coming over to the Life with Friends podcast. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. Um, for those listeners out there, thank you guys for listening, and hope you guys stay tuned for the next episode. So thank you very much. Uh, so blah, blah blah. Sorry. Thank you very much, Tony, and I hope to see you soon. No problem. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Life with Friends. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon. Thank you.